0: Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real-life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. Well, where do I begin? Lindsay is a Nashville country star, a homegrown Calgarian who has shot to fame with scoring her first number one with What Happens in a Small Town, her debut with Brantley Gilbert. She is the first Canadian artist to hit number one in the U.S. since Emerson Drive, who sang Moments in 2007, and the first Canadian woman to reach the top of the charts since Terry Clark in 2003. She has recently toured with some of the biggest names in the industry, including Keith Urban, Brad Paisley and Sugarland. Lindsay has appeared on the CMA award stage, including play, playing with Carrie Underwood and Little Big Town. In 2019, she was nominated as the CMA Awards for Musical Event of the Year. She is also a two times 2020 ACM nominee for the new Female Artist of the Year and Music Event of the Year. Lindsay, welcome. Oh my gosh, Tanya, thank you so
1: much for having me. It is such a pleasure to be on your podcast. I'm always just so inspired by you. You're just such a a unstoppable force and um and just such a strong woman that um, that gosh I've looked up to ever since I met you years ago. So yeah.
0: <laughs> well, right back at you, girl. Oh my gosh, I that uh, I, that is so sweet of you. And if you could see me, I'm totally blushing. So thank you, mm-hmm. and uh, and right back at you. And so Lindsay, we're just gonna dive into it because I have so many questions, and I feel so connected to you because you are a homegrown Calgarian girl, and that's where I. I first met you. And so when you were a young girl, did you dream of being famous? You know,
1: fame and the even the word famous never really f- brought, like, was a focus to me in my mind. Um, I think it was more just seeing people like Shania Twain when I was little and just wanting to be her, like wanting to stand on stage and play instruments and And, um, you know, write songs and have people want to listen to them and feel something from them. And so the fame aspect of it and um, being famous was never really something that I, I thought about, to be honest. It was more just getting to do what I loved and getting to do music as a job.
0: And so, like I, I was reading a little bit about you, because I know some, but I don't know all. And mm-hmm. you had started touring with your father when you were quite young, and you were touring to country bluegrass camps as a young girl. And so that really sounds like that was the beginning of your inspiration into music. And then you were kind of found um, at a young age. And I the Lindsay L that I know originally was this beautiful, amazing, kick-ass guitarist. And then I feel like your career has really evolved and your voice has evolved. I was listening to some of your music the other day in preparation for us, and your, your voice is like, it's, it's totally evolved in the last three, four years. And so talk to us about what it was like kind of growing up with that inspiration. And then how old were you when you kind of knew that you had some like serious talent?
1: Yeah, it was amazing growing up in a music family. Um, my mom played piano. My dad played pretty much everything with strings on it. My brother played guitar. And so I was just around music all the time. Even my grandparents all played something. And so um, it was it was very much so a musically rich environment to grow up in. And for that, I, I'm just so grateful and fortunate that I was able to just be surrounded by it and um, all the time, which which made it, I guess, just feel much more natural, you know. I I started playing piano when I was six years old and then picked up the guitar when I was eight and started playing shows and and writing songs when I was ten. So just from a really early age, it was just part of my life, you know, and it it just it felt like the norm. And everything else was just like, okay, well yeah, I go to school and then I do my homework and then I I play music or I, I play gigs on the weekend. And so it was just sort of something I grew up with and the stage just became something I was very familiar with. It felt more like home than a lot of other places, to be honest. And, and so, you know, eventually getting a band van and driving across the country when I was 16 and, and gigging and just playing as many shows as I could just felt like a natural progression. And then coming down to Nashville, I've been living down here for 11 years now. And um, it just, it again, feels like home to me. Anytime I can be on the stage or be around other musicians, um, I just, I feel like that's where I'm meant to be, you know?
0: And so as a musician, um, and this is, you know, me being naive to your industry, how much of your time is spent creating your own music and writing it down and then putting a tune to it versus actually like either performing or I guess uh, putting out a a record or putting out an album, I should say, like, is it 50 50 or what does that split look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, in the, the creation process is just so uncharted. There's just no (laughs) rules and even writing a song, like no songwriting session looks quite identical to the last. And so, um, i I do try to anytime I'm in town i'm I'm home in nashville i I try to create as much as i can i i try to write and book you know three four songwriting sessions a week um if i'm here and then if I'm traveling a lot then I just try to you know schedule writing sessions on off days and then pretty much when i'm on the road i'm I'm traveling twenty four seven just either playing shows or, or doing radio dates, um, going to meet with stations, doing press. And so it's in, in pure promo mode. So it depends a lot on the year. I'd say like when I'm releasing a new project, there's a lot more shows. There's a lot more press and promo compared to if I'm on like sort of a, a creative year, um, then I'm, I'm spending a lot more time in the studio. So sometimes it swings even like 80% creative, 20% promo, and then it can swing 90% promo, wow. 10% creative. Like it's just a very much so pendulum that can swing both ways quite quickly.
0: Wow. And your inspiration when you're creating, you know, is it, does it come from, and I know you've been more, you've been, you've been public about, you know, at a very public breakup, you've had some health issues and so can you kind of share with us what that looked like in your life and how that maybe inspired some of your music?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, my favorite songwriters, even, you know, looking at our fellow Canadian Miss Joni Mitchell, um, the more honest you get about things, the more impactful I think music is or or touching a song can be. And um I I've just I guess learned by trial and error that um the more personal that a song is the better I can sing it on stage and the more fans identify with it. You know, I, I think that, um, there's something always to be said about a universal love song, but when you can write those really special songs that touch on something that is, is something that I've been through, I just think that I sing them from more of an honest place on stage and then people in the audience can feel them from more of an honest place. And yeah, I've, I've definitely had to deal with, um, some health issues, and for sure, public breakup, it's crazy when, um, you know, you start posting your life on social media, and then all of a sudden, those things become part of the storyline, I guess, um, yeah. in in people's lives. But, um, you know, I in my last record, Heart Theory was the first time I decided to talk about my story of being a survivor. And that was something that I had never... Really shared. I, I never wanted it to be about a publicity statement or just getting attention. I really wanted it to be about focusing on um, being an advocate for other survivors out there, you know, and, and getting to launch my own foundation. Um, it's called the Make You Movement. The song I wrote about um, my childhood is called Make You, and it's been insane, Tanya. The the response just I've gotten from from fans, like thousands and thousands of DMs. Being like, thank you for writing this song. Like, this is exactly how I felt. I just never knew how to how to really access those emotions. Or, you know, fans would DM me and be like, you have inspired me to go reach out to a friend or to tell my story for the very first time or to reach out to a therapist. And, you know, I I feel so grateful that I'm able to wake up every day and do what I love for a living. I mean, it just, it feels like a dream come true. But I, I really... I'm so grateful that I can play music because then it allows me to build a platform where I can do cool things like launch my own foundation and write songs that really can touch people and hopefully can inspire them to reach more into themselves and their heart and, and maybe into therapy and all of these good things that, that I think that in the chaos of life, you know, sometimes get lost. And, and so I truly feel like my job as a musician and as um a a personality I guess is to is to be able to do good with it which I've learned you know through vulnerable songwriting and and being more honest about using my voice for good things it's, it's pretty incredible, you know, what, what you can do when you really put your mind to it. And you don't need a million followers on Instagram or whatever. Um, you just need an honest heart and, and an honest mission. And it's, it's amazing when you put those two things together, how much good work you can get done.
0: Well, and what a beautiful journey that you've had. Cause you know, when you get into music, I'm assuming, and you start to make a name for yourself, you're doing it because you enjoy music, you enjoy the creation, or you enjoy the performing or the recording, and it fills your Mm -hmm. soul. But then to second that, to see that your music can have that type of impact on people, that's like a cherry on top.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, I, I truly do feel like I have the best job on the planet (laughs) because, um, because I get so much joy out of writing songs and and getting to perform them and and stand on big stages in front of thousands of people and and um, do what I love for a living and you know I've I found a passion in life that is hard to to really describe how much I. I you know, get back from it, but then on top of it, to be able to impact people in a positive way and influence them in their lives and in their day to day. And in the way they look at the world, it's just so incredible. It's really incredible when we, when we take charge of our lives and, and see how much control we really do have with it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen to that. You, you talk about performing, like let's chat about that. So you played eight different countries in 32 days. Like, OMG. What was like that? When I, <laughs> I, mean, I read that, I was like, I can't even, I can't even fathom that. So talk to us about when you go on tour. I mean, for someone who has obviously never been on tour before, like how draining is it? Like how much prep time do you have to do? And talk to us about what that was like in that 32 days.
1: Yeah, you know, touring is one of my favorite things to do, and it's also one of the most exhausting things to do. Um, it is the hour that you're on stage every day is one of the best moments. You know, it's, it's one of my favorite feelings that I've ever experienced in my life. Like Nothing can really top that that high of standing on stage and sharing your music with people and feeling that love from an audience and, um, and just really sitting in that magical moment within a venue. Um, but I will say the t- other 23 hours of the day are are taxing and it gets lonely sometimes, you know, being on the road and the the glamorous tourist life of like tour buses and flying everywhere and going to see different countries. And it's not as glamorous as it <laughs> seems when you really break it down, you know, like, yes, I do get to travel to a lot of different places and I do get to see a lot of different cities, but those cities are often seen from the window of a cab or an Uber. And mm. I see a lot of hotel rooms and backstages of venues and airports. And
0: very <laughs> rarely
1: I get to go, you know, tourists. I get to be a tourist and get to go sightsee at these places. Um, and oftentimes we're like ordering takeout and backstage and play a show and then get to the hotel at one in the morning and then wake up at five and you do it all over again. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not complaining cause I, I am all there for the, the trade off of that, you know, magical one hour every day. But, but yeah, touring does get pretty, exhausting at times um, depending on on how you've had to do it and ever since I was little I've just done it in all different ways you know from a band van to obviously a tour bus to planes trains and automobiles and <laughs> yeah that that um, eight country stretch in 32 days we um, I was gone. I was gone, you know, for a month, which, which doesn't seem like that long, but when you're playing, you know, we probably had 20 shows in that month with travel days in between. And we left Nashville, um, flew to the UK, played all throughout the UK, then played Germany, um, Amsterdam, back to Germany. And then the longest travel day I've ever had in my life was flying or moving from Cologne to Sydney. And we like trained to Frankfurt and then flew with four different connections it was oh like a, the 30 gosh. hour flying day or something or travel day and got to Sydney. And then we were in Australia for a couple of weeks, played New Zealand, Japan, and then we're home. And um, it was amazing. So incredible. Like I said, like getting to see so many different cultures and, and experiencing fans and audiences in the UK versus Australia. Um, it's just, it's amazing being able to just be a sponge and really take in the way people live and the way people talk and the food they eat. And, um, so being on tour is definitely a way to, to absorb some of that energy from, from all around. But, um, but yeah, it it definitely is not as glamorous as it seems. <laughs> like being on a tour bus is so awesome and so cool, and very much so better than driving a sixteen passenger band van. But it also isn't like the easiest. Oh my gosh! <laughs> easiest, I can only imagine. Um, easiest way to way to live, you know. Um, the the touring life is is definitely the job part of my job. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I, well, I even, maybe a, not a great analogy, but I think of people who travel all the time for their work. They say, you know, the first couple of months is, you know, of this new job that they travel all over the world is great. But after that, living out of a suitcase, it, it loses its romanticism, right? Like it's, it's Absolutely. very draining, very tiring. Oh my gosh, and-
1: yes. I remember when I was a little girl and my dad used to travel a lot for work and he would always bring me back like, the little lotion or whatever from hotels. And I would like collect all these things and be like, wow, one day it'll be so cool to go to all these hotel rooms and I could collect my own little shampoos and lotions and soaps or whatever. And, um, and now it's, it's just like, yeah, the the novelty of, of staying in a brand new hotel room has definitely wore off. (laughs) I still love traveling. Like I just, I almost get antsy a little bit when I'm home for too long, which is, which is so crazy to think about. But, um, but, but yeah, the novelty of, of the, the magic of, you know, a brand new hotel room definitely wears off after time.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can appreciate that. And I, I'm trying to, you know, mentally put myself in your shoes and I would probably feel, you know, no different. What was it like uh, performing country music in Japan? I'm trying to picture that.
1: Yeah, Japan is such a cool country. Tokyo is my favorite city in the world that I've been to so far. Um it's just like have you ever been?
0: No, my husband has. Well, no, he's been to Hong Kong, sorry, not Tokyo. Okay. But I, I have never been. I've been to Southeast Asia, but not not in that neck of the woods.
1: I mean again, Hong Kong is is I've never been to Hong Kong, but it looks I- incredible. Um yeah, J- Japan is just like this is like Tokyo's a city is so massive, right? You have like millions upon millions upon millions of people living on top of one another. And yet their city is just so smart. Like everything has a flow to it. Everything is very efficient. Everybody is super kind, even though, you know, they, they don't speak a lot of English, obviously. Um, everybody's just so kind. Like I was in a seven 11. I remember and I was like shopping and had 20 things in my arms. Cause I never grab a, a basket or whatever, when I walk in and, (laughs) and somebody approached me like with a basket. And I was like, wow, that's so kind of you. And then they were helping me check out because some of their, their tills to check out are self-serve and they're a little bit confusing, especially when you can't read the language and just everybody is so kind. Or when you're down in the train system, I mean, the train map, like unlike um, in London, the, the subway system in London is very intricate. Well, Tokyo's system is about three times the size of London. So it's just massive. And there's just so many moving pieces and so many different colors moving in different directions. And, and yet when you're down there, random strangers will come up to you and just help you get to where you're wanting to go. And so I love Tokyo. Also, you know, you can get on the train and then get off and it will look like the Jetsons, just the, the architecture is just insane. It's like, what, where am I right now? I am definitely in a different country. Then you get on the train and you go to the next stop and the next stop you'll get off and it looks completely different. You're like in temples and trees and it's gorgeous. Then you get on the train and you get off on the next stop and it's like Shinjuku. So it's like Times Square on steroids and there's neon lights and signs to, as far as you can see. And it's just, it's a fascinating city now country music obviously isn't that big over there and so it was um i was very curious to to see what our our shows were going to be like that like there too but it's it's kind of cool to learn like the niche genres in every country i mean country in the uk used to be a very very niche thing and it's grown over the past five six years to a crazy amount Um, and, and I will say whenever you have niche fans, they're just very, very dedicated. So our shows in Tokyo, we had two on the same day and, um, and it was amazing. Both shows were just packed. People came in with like cowboy hats and like, they take it a lot more serious, um, in a, in a way, you know, country music in North America is very contemporized and, and it's very like pop leaning um but sometimes in japan or even in parts in europe they they still look at it as you know country and western music and so it's been nice to sort of help re-educate um that whole world and just be like well actually country means a lot of different things and as a genre we've grown so much and this is country music and then this other song on the complete opposite side of the spectrum is also country music. So it's been really cool to go over there and get to educate some of the fans and also meet the fans who are just so loyal. And, you know, I, I, read on socials all the time, fans from, from Japan who are just so
0: excited about, you know, when are you coming back? And so I love playing over there so much. Uh, well, you clearly had an impact on them because it, <laughs> I, I wouldn't think country music in Japan. Like, you know, I'd probably yeah. anywhere else in the world or, you know, it, it was just it's a it's not, you know, a type of music that, that I would assume that they would, you know, listen to. So that's so cool that you got to go and experience and perform and you have all these fans there.
1: Totally. It's it's so wild. It's so wild when you really lean into the power of social media and how it can it can connect us, and the world is actually a very small place when you, um, you know, can can look at it properly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it it really is. I um, so I've been watching you quite a bit on social media, well, for a very long time, and. Um, you are not only beautiful in your soul, uh, but you are beautiful on the outside. And your style, girl, recently, I have to say, it's been like phenomenal. I've seen some oh. of your outfits and <laughs> I'm like, I was like, oh, I could wear that. Oh, I like that. Oh, I wonder where she got that. <laughs> you're so sweet. Um, so you're looking like, very, feel so- very good.
1: You're so sweet. I feel so grateful to have like the best stylist a girl could ask for. And, um, and gosh, like I'm, I'm so hands on with so many parts of, of my career and my business, but thankfully like shopping is just now something that I'm like, I don't even know where to start anymore. And so um that has been, it's, it's been interesting actually to like identify the parts of of my life that I love focusing on and I love spending energy in and then identify the parts of my life that I'm just like, I don't understand enough of this, or I don't know where the right place to even start is. And so um, so shopping and, and finding the right clothes for different events has definitely been one of those examples that um, that I'm very, very grateful to have an amazing team.
0: <laughs> well, I'm a true proponent of delegation. I delegate most yes. in, in my life. And so I I'm good at some things, but not at all things. And so the things I'm not good at, I delegate. So I can completely appreciate that and and honor that and wanted to say you look great. And with that, like, how have you handled the pressure as a country star to kind of live up to that public perception of this certain way that you have to look? How do you handle that? And have you felt pressure? Maybe you haven't.
1: Yeah, I think there's always a bit of pressure. And then at the same point, it's as as much pressure as you want to let in, you know. Um, I will say, like, It's been such a nice resurgence of, you know, the next generation, um, Gen Z or whatever of, of like less filters and less makeup and just showing realness and and vulnerability on, on TikTok and all the things. And, And that's been really nice as much as, um, you know, sometimes it's easy to get caught into the world of, of always having to look a certain way and always having to, to be on so to speak. And so it's something that, that I obviously I still wrestle with, but, um, but it's, it's, it's like a happy medium, you know, I, I generally more so than not want to just look like me and I will be like stage ready when I'm playing shows, but eh, all the rest of the time, I, I, I kind of prefer just being a little bit more, um, real, you know? And And so, yeah. Like I remember when I first moved to town, I would not walk out of the door without having lashes on my face and without having like a full face of makeup. And now I'm just like, I don't really want to do that anymore. You know, I want people to know it's the real me like stage makeup. And when I'm playing a show, sure. I will lean into it and have so much fun. But like, The rest of the time, it's like, this is
0: my face. (laughs) And I love that. And I actually love always seeing the, like in People magazine or whatever on social media, when some camera person, the paparazzi get somebody famous, like, in like a a track suit with no makeup and their hair and a high ponytail. I'm like, Oh, she's beautiful. She's natural. She's, you know, like I love seeing that because that is, that's real. And I, I often tell myself like famous people are people. They just have really cool jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Every, everybody's just a human putting their pants on one leg at a time. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So Ta- Let's talk about struggles because, I mean, we've all had struggles in our life, you know, whether you're building a business or you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you're rising to the top in charts, in the charts, like what was it like kind of fighting and playing your way to the top and where you are today? And and what were those struggles like? Because I have to imagine there were days you wanted to give up.
1: Yeah, I mean, tended to be honest, like the struggles never stop. And I don't (laughs) say that to be pessimistic. I I say that to just be real with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always was under the, the estimation that like you set a goal, like I just needed to sign a record deal and then everything was going to be good. And then I just need to get a song on the radio and then everything was going to be good. Then I just need to get a number one and then everything was going to be good. But like once you accomplish those goals, you then you set more goals and it's like, you work so hard to open a certain door and then that door opens up into a room with 10 more doors and you're like okay now how do i open all of these doors and so it's like it's not to say that to be discouraging no. but at the same point it's it's just being able to accept that there's always going to be a bit of struggle and it that's okay like if anything the struggle means you're working towards something that you believe in and that you care about and and so it's it's almost like you get used to the pressure of the struggle and um and and you're better able to deal with it amongst other things amongst being busy um you know when i went on my first few tours starting out i was i was always just so receptive to the the artist i was opening for be it brad paisley or keith urban or blake shelton or whoever it was and um and i would want to watch like every minute of their show or just watch them um backstage. And they were always just so down to earth and real when, whenever they would talk to me, but it was always wild to watch how hard they still work at that stage of the game. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. kind of counterintuitive because you think that when, when someone reaches like this incredible height and and climax of their business, that their job will be easier. And it's like, well, actually not really. Like as you work harder and as you grow your, your, building and and climb that mountaintop, it's, it gets busier and things get harder and decisions are are more complicated. And, and so um, it's not saying that like the struggles um, have, are like debilitating, but it's just like, it's not like they're going to go away. If anything, you know, y- you're, you'll probably get more of them, but it just, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Like they're wonderful problems to have. Cause when you can still wake up in the morning and be proud of where you're at and what you're doing and where you're going, then, um, then, that, then it's like, okay, buckle in. Like, here yeah. we go. I'm so happy for it. And so, um, yeah. When I look back at the past 11 years of living in Nashville and, and building my business down here and, and, you know, being a Canadian, getting a visa, getting a green card, like all of these little hurdles that it's like, well, how am I going to do that? And then you get a number one and you need to find out how to get another one. And it's, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's easier, I guess, when you can break it into little steps. And anytime I get overwhelmed, cause I'm, I am such like a a big, idea thinker and like to have a lot of things planned out and, and life doesn't always work that way, especially the music industry does not really work that way. And, and so anytime I get overwhelmed like that, I really just try to break it down. Um, one of my favorite promoters in the business would always have a saying, he said, yard by yard, it's very hard, but inch by inch, it's a cinch. And so yard by yard,
0: it's very hard. Inch by inch, it's a cinch.
1: Yeah. So when you can break it down into bite sized pieces and know that, okay, I may have all of this stuff on my plate right now, but all I really need to deal with is this little piece or what I can do today. I don't need to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow I will worry about tomorrow. But today I can worry about the things that that I'm going to do today, you know, and when you
0: can break it down in little pieces, it makes
1: any kind of struggle easier.
0: Well as I'm listening to you I I just kind of had a little light bulb go off that you you are an entrepreneur like you started mm-hmm. from scratch you built this brand up with your voice and you surrounded yourself with the right people you create your own music you delegate the jobs that you aren't you know as strong in you perform like to me that is entrepreneurship you took a risk when you got into music, because I don't know what the stats are, but I mean, how many people, how many artists, is it like one and a half a million people that make it and get a record label? Like I can't imagine. Yeah, the, the ratios
1: of those numbers I'm not certain of, but um, but I know they're probably pretty crazy. And and yeah, I do look at the music industry and being an artist as being an entrepreneur. And it's pretty wild because on a in a Escape like today where the business is at, I mean, you don't even need to necessarily sign a record deal. There are tons of artists on YouTube or TikTok that are making millions of dollars every year. And so it is wild to consider the music industry as being an entrepreneur, but it is definitely a business. And I mean, if you're, if you're your own boss and, and making a living out of it, I mean, that's, that's a business, you know?
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned something about, you know, you know, taking your brand to social media and and making money off of that. What was it like for yourself and and your colleagues, your fellow artists, um, you know, during the pandemic when, you know, your income came to a screeching halt because you couldn't perform? Did you guys all go into creation mode and then hit more social media? Like what? I mean, A, I'm so sorry that you went through that because your you know your lives changed overnight. And B, like, how did you get through that two years?
1: Yeah, Tanya, it was it was a crazy couple of years for all of us for so many different reasons. But um, but I do remember the week, you know, gosh, two years ago now that my whole year just disappeared, and it went from everything going you know a mile a minute to standing still within four walls, you know, I was living alone and I was like, what is about to happen right now? Like I, I went from earning a decent living to literally making zero (laughs) dollars and being like, okay, uh, what are ways that I can continue, you know, further push the rock down the road, so to speak. And, um, the, the entertainment industry was one of the first industries to shut down and one of the last industries to come back because, you know, it, when you're dealing with public safety and public health, um, going to live concerts isn't necessarily the first thing on people's list. And so um, it was it was for sure a really good lesson in, um, you know, patience and um, and also creativity and and learning how to lean into a lot of virtual environments and um, having a lot of extra time to create and the, the past couple of years have been very interesting but it's it's amazing to be able to see you know everything opening up again and live shows coming back and um, it, it feels it feels amazing to to kind of get back into the swing of
0: things and so would you feel like if you compared your life today to, Uh, you know, I don't know, this time in 2019, pre-pandemic, like, do you feel like your life's pretty much back on track that way, as far as you're able to perform again and tour and do those things?
1: Definitely not to 2019. 2019 was just such an incredible pace. And I think that it's going to take the music industry another year to get back to that. But, um, but it's, it's definitely so much better than it was even last year. You know, last year we were fortunate to have a, a fairly busy touring year, but Um, it's, it's just the trajectory is trending in the right direction and is trending up, but it's still just a slow start. You know, I think everybody got hit by the pandemic, um, pretty hard. And so people have less money to go out to shows and they're only choosing their, their favorite artists and maybe one other show to go see. And so to the point where, where people even feel even comfortable coming to, to see live music, I I know it's, it's still just a, a slow process, but. It's definitely heading in the right direction. And I am so excited for things to
0: get back to that 2019 pace. Well, I am excited for that for you as well. And I (laughs) even now in Calgary going out to restaurants, I was just saying with a girl talking to a girlfriend of mine today, and you can't find a restaurant like if I wanted to go out tonight to a good restaurant, I wouldn't get in unless I wanted to eat at 930. Like things are really? really yes, things are really packed here again on the good restaurant scene wow yeah it's uh, it 's a bit crazy, but good to see you know there 's this revitalization, and we've we 've had all of our restrictions lifted, and so people are you know they 're getting out again, and yeah it's it, the vibe is definitely changing, so I'm grateful for that, and I hope that you know for your industry, things continue to improve. Um, so what is your, what is the average day in your life? Like, like walk us through, you get up, like, do you have a morning routine? And then like, what are you doing these days?
1: Yeah. Um, my days are very different just depending on, you know, if I'm writing, if I'm, um, at my management office or my label with a lot of meetings, if I'm doing press or if I'm on the road. So if I'm home generally, either I'm writing where i Get up, I work out, I do meditation, um, I walk my dog, and then I usually get to a write um probably around 10:30, and then write song write song write a song for three, four, five hours. And then usually I come home, have dinner, usually have um a couple of meetings and maybe some interviews like via Zoom or maybe even in person. Um, and then generally sometimes have sessions at night with other countries. Like I, I write with the UK a lot or, um, with Australia, with my friends in Australia, or, um, I'm going out to a showcase. Sometimes I'm playing events in town. Um, so every day is, is pretty different, but usually I'm going from about 8am till about 10, 11pm every day.
0: Yeah, so long days, very full days, it sounds like. Very full days, for sure. What type What type of dog do you have and what's their name?
1: Um, so I got a dog in the middle of COVID. Um, <laughs> she is just the light of my life. I really wanted to rescue a dog. And um, and so I, I rescued her from a, a shelter down in New Orleans. Um, my band and I, when I found the right dog. I was just going to drive down there and they're like, we're going to go with you. And so we got in my car and literally drove seven hours down to new Orleans, picked up a po' boy, a beignet and a dog and turned around and came (laughs) right back because it was still in the middle of COVID and we were all like kind of weirded out. And so, um, yeah, she, I've, I've had her for just over a year now and she is just so incredible. It's really amazing what animals can do and, and do for your mental health she travels on the road with us she's an oh. amazing bus dog and um yeah her name is hendrix named after my favorite guitar player Jimi hendrix, jimmy
0: hendrix
1: <laughs> yeah but um but yeah she is the best
0: well what made me think about it is my dog is barking in the background and i'm like i lindsay has gotta have a dog <laughs> Yeah, what kind of dog? She's from Calgary. (laughs) I know.
1: What kind of dog do you have again, Tanya?
0: Well, I have two. I have a Rottweiler, uh, Lily. She's nine. And then I have Georgie, George, and he's the puppy because we talked about having another kid about a year ago. And Uh instead of getting a kid, we got a dog. So he's like nine months and he's, uh, yeah, he's a lot. He's, He's going through puppy training and I have him in daycare and he's, yeah, he's really high energy, but they're fun. (laughs) That's so awesome. That's amazing. So what is something that most people probably don't know about you? And and this could be even like maybe like people that maybe not your family, but like, you know, people that know Lindsay, but don't maybe know Lindsay. What would be something that we don't know or we'd be surprised to hear?
1: I mean, probably um, that I'm a huge introvert. Like, I love being with fans. I love playing on stage to thousands of people. Like, the bigger the crowd, the better. But the way I get my energy is by being alone and by being at home. And so it's crazy. Like, sometimes when my friends are like, let's do something and, and let's go do something fun. And um, and I'm just like, I mean, I, I really just want to be home with my dog and Stare at the wall and like when I work, I go I go pretty hard. And so when I'm off, um, yeah, I I just I I recharge by being alone. So I am the epitome of introverts. <laughs>
0: uh, well, you know what though, like when it like you are very outgoing, but I I could actually see that about you. Like I think for your career, you don't have a choice. You can't be this huge introvert and not and do what you do. And so there's, there's a, is it omnivert where you're a bit of both? It's there's a, there's a a terminology for it. Like if you can, you can be both. And I can't remember if it's omni, but so maybe you are a little bit of both.
1: Yeah, maybe I am. Maybe I am. But, um, but yeah, people are always like, what? You're always in front of people. Don't you love people? And I'm like, I do love people, but that's not how I get recharged.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. No, my husband's like that too. He's definitely an introvert, but is great out in crowds and can walk the <laughs> crowd. And, yeah. And so, um, how often are you coming home to Calgary? Because I know you're super tight with your family, and um, I've got to meet them. And your dad is just this beautiful soul. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And so, how how often are you able to see your parents?
1: You know, through COVID, it was really tough. Um, we went two years with not wow. seeing each other, which was which was so hard. But um, but yeah, I, I generally get back for a few times every year with festivals or playing Stampede or um, different privates throughout the city, and then um, for sure around the holidays, usually I, I get back for a few days. So. Um, my, my parents are, are used to just me being on the road a lot. Like they've come to Nashville a couple of times since I've lived here, but, um, but normally when they can come, I'm not here. So I'm like, you can (laughs) go see my empty house or, um, you can come visit me on the road. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's often, it's often around like
0: holidays and stuff where we get, we get some time. Oh, well, that's nice. Well, and I was on your website and I didn't see that you had a tour to Calgary this year. Are you here for Stampede?
1: I am playing Stampede. I'm so excited we We just finished a headlining tour um last fall, which was so amazing and so much fun but um, but we'll be playing Stampede this year. I cannot wait um I don't even know if that's announced yet, but I guess you heard it here first Yay! um <laughs> but yeah we're we're so excited to be back to Stampede as well as i'll be I'll be playing a bunch of festivals um throughout Canada. I'm, I'm playing Boots and Hearts this year, opening up for Shania Twain. Uh, girl, which I insane. heard. I actually
0: watched the video when you found out. <laughs> oh, you're so oh sweet. Oh my gosh. Like, what does that feel like? She, I mean, come on. Like, you must have been, oh, I saw your facial expression. <laughs> so insane.
1: So insane. I mean, Shania obviously was an idol of mine ever since I was a little girl. So to be able to, 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 share the stage with her and open for her and directly, you know, be right there in the thick of everything is, is just truly a dream come true. And I, I cannot wait for this summer.
0: Uh, Well, I'm really excited to see you. Um, I will be coming to see you at Stampede and uh, yeah, what a, yeah, I'll um, make sure we see each other. Okay.
1: (laughs) I cannot wait
0: for that. Now on your website, you have something super cool. I've, I've never seen before and it's called forgiveness notes. Talk to us about what that Mm -hmm. is and what inspired you to, to do that.
1: Through writing my last album, um, heart theory it was sort of my way of leaning into music for healing and i i wrote a record around like the healing process you know the seven stages of grief and i wanted fans to be able to listen to it top to bottom and just have that record slowly unravel and hear my progression as you know i went from a place of shock to denial to anger to to depression to acceptance and then finally you know sitting in that acceptance and and being grateful for what you've been through and so Um, A a huge part of that process to me is forgiveness and forgiveness of like a lot of of things in in your life or things that happened in your childhood, but mostly forgiveness to yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes we forget to forgive ourselves for things. And that's one of the most important things we can do. Um, I always say forgiveness is not usually for the other person. It's mainly for you, even when, you know, you're, you're forgiving somebody, even if they don't know about it, know that you're forgiving them. Um, oftentimes that healing is, is in your own heart. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's not necessarily in theirs. So, um, so I just wanted a way to promote that and just be like who is somebody that you should show forgiveness to and and feel forgiveness towards and maybe that person should be yourself and so um it was it was a card that I put in every copy of Heart Theory and um we wanted to do a digital copy as well and so we put it up on the website.
0: Oh, I loved it. Yeah, as I was looking through your website, I I saw this forgiveness note and I clicked on it and you can fill it out. And I thought, what a beautiful idea. I wonder what inspired you. So thank you for, for sharing that. And you're so right. Like um, I think in forgiveness is something, you know, it doesn't let somebody off the hook. It doesn't say that what you did was okay, but I think forgiveness is something that we do have to do for ourselves to move on. You just said it like exactly. I second that because you know, the people that I think I've had to forgive in my life, Um, it, it doesn't mean that I let them off the hook. It just means that I needed to do that to set myself free from resentment and anger and those, those type of feelings.
1: Absolutely. And like when you set yourself free from those feelings, it is amazing. The shift you can feel in your life and just like the freedom you can feel having let a lot of those emotions go.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So true. Lindsay, what have you vowed to yourself in life?
1: Well, um, Tanya, I feel over the past two years I've I've learned a lot. You know, I'm I'm such a workaholic. And in 2019, I, I didn't even recognize myself, recognize myself at times because I was just moving so fast that I I couldn't even understand or or really take in an experience because I was just always moving so fast. And so over the past couple of years with COVID, it's been a beautiful point just to sit down and, and reflect and um, appreciate the things in my life and prioritize the, the things that really matter to me and also know that sometimes you can work smarter, not harder. And so the vow that I I am promising myself lately, like, especially from the beginning of this year is, is just to be like, really honest about the things that matter and focus on those things. And everything else, if everything else fades away or falls away, then it probably wasn't meant to be in the first place. And, and maybe it's, you know, not, not the best alignment in your life. And so, um, so yeah, I'm just vowing to be like, really honest and and prioritize like the the things that like are at my highest most integrity and everything else you know if I find time for that great but if I don't then you need to focus on what's important you know and what matters
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no it's very true and I think probably for you and many people the last two years have really kind of uh, spotlight that like it's it's, um, you know, I've had a lot of time to reflect in the last couple of years. And I can get through most days now, even if something, you know, really tragic or bad happens or, um, you know, if I have my health, if my kids are healthy, if my marriage is good, like really the most important solid things in my life. Um, yeah. And everything else is just kind of fixable. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That is so, so, so true. <laughs> So the very last question, and we always like to spotlight a charity of choice and, uh, what charity would you like to spotlight today?
1: Well, um, I would like to say that starting my own foundation was, um, one of the most incredible things that, um, that I've gotten to do, you know, to be able to say, I believe in this and I, I want to help, um, I want to help people that, that. I see eye to eye with, and, and I've been through similar stories with, and, um, and so getting to start the make you movement has been just one of the coolest things that I've gotten to, I've gotten to do. But, um, I will say if I could highlight a specific charity, um, I want to say woods homes. They're an incredible organization in Calgary and a dear friend of mine, um, or friends of mine, I guess, Kevin and Michelle Scrupachuk do so much for, um, Woods Homes. I know Tanya, you've done so much for Woods Homes as well. And they just do a lot for the homeless population in Calgary and women in Calgary and, um, and, and helping them turn around their lives and lift them up. And, um, I just am so about Woods Homes and I would urge anybody listening to check them out and anything that they can give, even, you know, even a dollar goes, goes a long way. And um, yeah, Woods homes are just, they're an incredible, incredible, incredible charity.
0: Well, and that's really how you and I first met was um, at one of the fundraisers. Gosh, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I, I bid on a, I think it was a live auction and it was, I remember, I remember it vividly. It was a backyard concert with Lindsay L in your backyard four (laughs) tickets to ranahan's and a pair of cowboy boots. Oh, and a cattle drive. Oh my God. Yes. And I thought I went, I thought I went to heaven that night. So I won it. And then, well, as my husband says, you don't win anything. I bid on it and it was all going (laughs) as I was all going to Woods homes and you donated your time. Mm -hmm. And, um, so much beauty came out of that because then for like three years after that, I kept bidding on it. And you kept singing in my backyard with like all of my favorite people. And then I kept doing this cattle drive. And I met so many amazing people every year on this cattle drive out in the foothills. And so it was just yeah, Woods Homes. I mean, they are an unbelievable organization. And I always say to people, I hope I never need to use Woods Homes for my Mm -hmm. own children and my own family. But I know that if I do, they're there. So I'm so happy that you mentioned them. Totally. And I just need to say, Tanya, thank you
1: so much for your heart. You are just such a beautiful person inside and out. And your generosity is just incredible. Like I'm sure a lot of your listeners don't even know the lengths that you go to, to give back and to really support incredible organizations. And so I just want to like, shine a light on that beautiful aspect of who you are and just say how much I appreciate it and how much the world is a better place for it.
0: Oh, Lindsay, you're so sweet. You're just, ah, oh, I wish if you were here, I'd give you the biggest hug. So in the summer Aww. when you come... I'm going to give you a hug either before or after your show. <laughs> I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see you. <laughs> uh, well, and I'll, I'll buy a bunch of tickets and bring my friends. So we'll see you there. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us today on The Vow, Lindsay. And I, it just gives us a kind of a, a snapshot, a, a little bit about your history and, and your career. And yeah, I was so honored when you said you'd take the time out of your day because I know you're super busy. So thank you.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me on. It is such a pleasure. Anything I can do to help you and lift you up for everything that you've done for me. And, um, you just continue to show your generosity. Um, I'm always here for you. So
0: thanks. Girl. I love you so much. I love you. Too, thanks. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.